the number one automotive sales podcast. Broadcasting around the world. Around the world. 100% positive mindset on making over 100K a year. You want to make more money and close more car deals while keeping a positive mindset. This is the show for you. If you can mind your business while you mind your own business, as you looking in the mirror and saying, this is my business, this podcast is for you. Broadcasting around the world. This is the Automotive Architect Sales Podcast with Ron Garverick. We're done yet? Hmm? Yes, we are. On our way to carbon neutral mobility for all with the all new ID4 100% SUV, 100% electric. Search Volkswagen ID4. Volkswagen. Sales coach and motivational speaker Ron Garverick has made the journey from poverty to wealth in his own life, and his passion is to help you in your success journey as well. His methods are proven because he lives them daily, and you can too. Introducing Ron Garverick. Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Architect Sales Podcast. I am your host, Ron Garvick. Thank you for being on this evening, this morning, this afternoon, whenever you decide to log into YouTube or listen to all the platforms of the podcast that you can get on several of the platforms like iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify. Uh, you get it on Apple. Uh, Breaker, you name it, you can get it on there, Audible, Amazon, wherever you can listen to the podcast, it is on there. And I want to thank you for joining me today. One of my guests on this show, the funny thing is we, we, we lived and grew up and graduated in the same city or town or podon, whatever you want to call it, in liberal Kansas. Now, this individual... He, he and I never hung out, but we did have a mutual friend. Um, he knew of me. I knew of him. And, you know, good things were said about each other uh, from this mutual friend. And uh, we we both left the city or that town. I wouldn't call it a city. Big cities like Dallas and Oklahoma City and L.A. And New York. Th- those are cities. But this place uh, was home. Now, yes, I consider it a black hole now, and I wouldn't go back if my life depended on it. I think the last time I ever that I actually went back to my hometown where I graduated was on my 20th uh, class reunion. So I'm showing my age there a little bit. But but this individual left and he decided he he was going to live up in Lawrence and and sell cars. He got out of the car business, started selling jewelry, ran into a finance manager at a dealership and uh, got asked to come work there again. 
or got got asked to work at a dealership. And um, long story short, he is a manager at Subaru of Wichita, now Wichita, Kansas, mind you, um, not Wichita Falls, Texas. He's married with two boys, five and two months old. He's been at Subaru for five years. He uh, was the first three years on the sales floor where he was the top salesman. So we, we still have something in common. I was the top salesman there at my dealership when I first started. The last two years, though, he's been the sales manager and team leader, influencer, uh, does does the primary responsibilities, including, you know, closing deals, hiring, firing, training, ensuring that the culture of the store is upheld. So uh, further ado, I want to introduce this gentleman and uh, I don't have my little sound effects like some, some uh, podcasters do, but um, we would give him a round of applause. So here we go. Let's introduce you to AJ Owens. Hey, AJ, how are you doing this evening, this morning, or this afternoon, you know? Doing great, Ron. Thanks for having me on. You know, it, it's funny how, like I was saying before, we grew up in the same town. Now, when did you actually move to Liberal? Uh, I was Liberal from eighth grade through community college, so for about seven years. Great. And when did you decide to leave? What year? I left liberal in 2008. Okay. You left uh, about two years before I did. Uh, and we have, you know, a mutual friend. I got to, I got to plug his name because I know he's going to listen to the show and I know he's going to go, they better say my name. He so will. Larry, the bus all Busby. I know you're listening out there, man. I know this was something that you were looking forward to. So hats off to Larry Busby. He, you know, he, he's, he's got a good heart. He's got a good soul. He's very uh, supportive and for you and myself, he's, uh, he's all around good guy. He'd give the shirt off his back for you. And I know several times he, he has for me when I was down in the dumps and needed someone to stick by me. So uh, Larry was always there. Larry always took care of me. He's crazy. He's lovable. And, uh, he, he's like a brother to me. And I love him and his mother. And, uh, you know, if, if you're looking for that perfect person that you need to talk to, to cry on, to just all around bullshit, you could always call on Larry Busby. And, you know, I, I met him in, in high school when he was like uh, 200 pounds lighter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he would laugh about that. We were both skinnier back then. But uh, uh, just, you know, his persona. We, we both liked wrestling. We both liked uh, uh, drinking beer and hanging out and having football. fun and football. And so uh, – Larry, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support for both myself and AJ. And uh, we love you. I love you, brother. Yeah. And we'll, we'll always be there for you. So enough about Larry because we, we can go on a tangent about Larry Busby, but <laughs> let's get on uh, with the show. So like I said, we've, we lived and grew up in the same town, but we didn't hang out. 
And how crazy are it now? So many years later, we have connected and we're in, we're in the same industry. We're in the car business. Came Not very circle, many yeah. people can say, can say the same thing that we're, we're in the car business. So my question to you is how did you get in the car business and why? The car business kind of came to me and it, it came to me in, in a couple different times out of necessity in, in life. Uh, the, the first time, you know, I, I was living up in Lawrence and I was just enjoying myself as a, a young guy. And I, I met a met a girl who's now my wife and she, she had some, she had a, had to get a kidney transplant. And so unfortunately she had to move suddenly from Lawrence back to Wichita. And I was kind of stuck in a lease, uh, broke, making $10 an hour, trying to figure out what I want to do with life. Uh, somebody told me, Hey, you should come sell cars. It's a, a good way to make quick money and uh, get yourself in a position that you can move down to Wichita and go, go back to school. That was my original game plan. And I did that. I moved down to Wichita after about uh, a year in the car business, I was able to afford to buy myself out of my lease and get myself an apartment and set myself up. And I left the business. I thought that was all the car business had for me. Um, you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to go on and do something else. Um, you know, five years later, I had gone to school. I had a, a newborn. Um, I was not making $10 an hour, but still not making enough money to support a family. And one day in walked a guy that I sold an engagement ring to, and he happened to introduce himself as a finance director and said, hey, I'm going to call you and, and you're going to come work for me. And, uh, you know, that was five years ago, and it was the best decision that I've ever made. It's definitely changed my family's life, changed my life, and, and been probably the best best move that I've, I could have made for my family, for myself at the time. You know, people think about getting in the car business. They don't know the dedication you have to take, the the long hours, the the different moods that you you deal with with customers. And uh, a friend of mine, his name's Jody Holland. He he has taught me how to read faces, to read the the nose, read the lines on the forehead, the flat flatness or roundness of the forehead. The, the lips, the smile, the ears, and the book is very interesting. If you haven't read it, um, go to Facebook, find Jody Holland, and uh, purchase his book. You can get it on Amazon. I, I, I bought it on Amazon, and then I had him sign it. But uh, first of all, I just want to say all this is an all-exclusive uh, podcast sponsored by Dealer Elite, the most recognized auto social network in the world you know, sign up right now and engage with the best and brightest in our industry street volkswagen of amarillo is also a sponsor they uh have the new id4 all electric suv they are electrifying america as we speak the all new id4 and garv automotive training for BDC finance, sales, and management training, go to www.garv, that's G-A-R-V as in Victor, automotive.com. Subscribe to the training, and I guarantee you will increase your grosses and your commissions within one week. So back to uh, normal. So you told the people, the millions of listening all over the world, or watching right here on YouTube, 
you told a little bit about yourself, but who is AJ Owens? What makes you one of the top managers in Wichita, Kansas? I, I'd be honest with you, Ron, I've been doing this for two years and I learn new stuff every day. Um, and I, I think that that's probably what is what makes me successful, but I'm definitely not not where I'm going to be. Um, one of the things that was taught to me my very first go around in the automotive business was that if you keep your ear to the ground, you're always going to learn something new every day. And I had a great corporate trainer at that point in my life that, that really had a, a positive in, impact on me as a person. Um, and I've been able to take a lot of the things that I've learned in the car business to make me a better husband, a better father. And I think if you pay attention to some of those skill sets that you learn and you, you can possibly put it into the outside world of your life outside of the business, basically, I mean, this, this whole industry, it can really consume you and become who you are and, uh, in a great way, you know, some of the things that we've, we've looked in in the automotive industry is you, you sacrifice. And I remember when I first got into the automotive industry that when I got hired, I was promised the world. And what they, what they didn't do was do any kind of training. You know, I got hired and they said, that's a computer. That system in there is called a CRM. It's a customer relation management tool, which has all the customers that I need you to call and convince them to come in and buy a car. Out there, that's called a lot. It's called a parking lot. It's called where you go out there and you chase customers around and you bring them inside and you try to sell them a car. That was all the training that I got. They didn't, they didn't do any sitting down. Hey, the, you know, when a customer says this, this is what you say. It was all hands-on training. Now I remember back in the day when my dad was a truck driver and he told me one time, he was like, you know, all these guys that are going to the Votech and they're learning how to drive trucks. They're, they're taking all the tests. They're reading all the books. He goes, but they're not going to learn anything till they get out on the road. And then that's where they're going to get their experience. So he was so spot on when on any, any kind of uh, work job related, the training you're going to get is hands-on training. So there was time I couldn't sell a car, but once on a Saturday for so long, I married up with a, another salesman, a veteran salesman. His name was Larry the Bull Curtis. We called him Bull. We married up. I'd go and get the customers. I'd bring them inside. I'd get all the information from them. I'd check their credit, make sure they could even buy, then go back outside and find the vehicle for them, bring them back inside once they loved the car bring them back inside, work some numbers. Then I would hand the sheet to him. Then he would go out and he would close the deal. And he got the nickname bull because he was a bully. So we did this about six months and new GM came in. He goes, what the hell are you guys doing? I said, we're married up, man. We're trying to sell cars. We're, we're making money here. And he goes, no. You guys need to start selling your own cars individually. No more of this married up crap. I was like, all right, cool. 
the first full year I will remember at the end of April, I outsold him. I sold 18 cars. He sold 12. He quit. I can't let a green pea beat me. And he walked out. So, you know, at the time I only had, we only had like three salesmen. One was pathetic, Bull and myself. Bull quit. The other one got fired. For two weeks, I was the only salesman on this lot for the month of May. Now, everybody knows month of May is one of the most busiest time of the year when it comes to selling cars. And what got me was every time they would bring somebody in, it would be a veteran. Well, I'd outsell the veteran, then they'd quit. So then we just had to bring in new green peas. We had to bring in a whole new staff and teach them how to sell cars. And so that being said, it was, it was crazy because I, I couldn't sell any cars. And every time I would take a manager TO manager TOs, you go to a manager and you have him, you turn over the deal so he can close the deal for you. And, you know, I'd say, Hey boss, these folks want you to pay for the tax title license. Okay. Where are they at? They're sitting at my desk. Okay. He'd walk out there. Hey, you know, Shane Cox, general manager here. Uh, see that you, um, you wanted me to pay for your tax title license. And they'd go, yeah. And he would go, yeah, that's ridiculous. You know what? If, if you want me to pay for your tax title license, you just need to get the hell off my, my lot right now because that's ridiculous. That is the stupidest thing I ever heard. And it would offend them. And they're like, okay. And they pick up their belongings and, yeah, you just go out that door and get back in your vehicle that you were in and, and get the hell off my lot. I'd follow the customer outside. I'm like, Mr. Customer, I'm so sorry that, you know, I really wanted to sell you this car. And they're like, you know what? We would have sold, you would have sold the car. We would have bought the car from you. All we asked is if you paid for the tax title license. We didn't need him coming out and cussing us at us like that. That, you know, that is so disrespectful. Who does that? And who does that if they want a customer to earn their business? I said, absolutely. I'm so sorry. You know, customer leaves. I'd go walk into the finance department and I'd go, Andy, man, I can't, I can't have him keep talking like that to my customers. Yeah. Uh, you know, why is he doing it? Why, does he want me to quit? Does he not want me to sell cars? I go, I can't get up and ask him for a TO if he does that every time. Yeah. And I said, so what do I do? He goes, you need to learn how to close your own deals. Now, Andy's not in the car business anymore. And I, and I really think that he should be, but those words right there, you need to learn how to close your own deals. And I said, how? He goes, you got to have to figure it out. So that night I went home. I grabbed my phone. I laid in bed. I went to YouTube and I think this is the first time ever that I ever knew what YouTube was. And I typed in how to sell a car at a car dealership. Yep. And Mr. Jim Ziegler popped up 45 minutes, 48 seconds on how to sell a car in the car business. And then right there from there was Steve Richards, Sean Bradley, Corey Mosley, Alan Dickey, Hardcore Closer, Ryan Stuman. All these videos start popping up. And I 
swear I wore my hand out writing everything down and going over the video over and over and over and over trying to learn how to sell cars. My first full year, man, it was all about product knowledge. I needed to know how everything worked, listen to the customer, know what their hot buttons were, and then get into, all right, now I know how to sell, sell the cars by the product. Now, the second year, how can I utilize that and make more money? From utilizing and making more money, then I needed to, all right, now how do I sell the same amount of cars and make more money? Not just being a volume salesman, but being a volume and gross salesman. How do I do that? So I learned how to do all that my third year. Then my fourth year, I mean, in, in the middle of my third year, Boom, I'm the general manager of that store. And I, so, you know, what I try to do, what you're trying to do is you're trying to teach these guys the easy way. Because, I, and, and I'll ask you in a minute, that we didn't have it easy. And now we're trying to train. That's why I got Garve Automotive. That's why I'm doing these podcasts. That's why I'm doing all this stuff because I want to teach and train and counsel and coach guys in the automotive industry the easy way so they can start making money now, not two, three, four years down the road. Now, did you did you get trained properly or were you threw out or thrown out to the wolves and said, you know what, either survive or die? I don't really care. I, I had a really fortunate benefit. I When I worked in Lawrence, I worked with a, a group of salesmen that had actually been lured back in. They were uh, you know, guys in their 60s and 70s who had actually retired from that particular building when it was a Honda store. And the, uh, the new owner of it was bringing in a Jeep Chrysler Dodge franchise. And he actually hired back some of the familiar faces to come back into the storefront. And those guys weren't interested in chasing lot ops. They were, they were kind of like you mentioned with Bull. You know, they were... Hey, go greet this guy, bring him into me. And really, you know, you and I both kind of similar backgrounds. You and I couldn't afford to fail. And and not everyone's like that, but you and I had to sit there and we had to figure out where to find the information. We had to seek it out ourselves. We had to source it. You know, countless hours of listening to uh, Zig Ziglar on CD. And, you know, I've listened to Dale Carnegie for the first three months, I played no music on my stereo going to and from work. It was all motivation, sales training, things to make me better. And I sought all of that out. Um, I've had some really great influences on me, but you're right. In, in this business, traditionally, you're seeing so many people. I, I step back and I can't imagine how many good, qualified people this business is life. It could have changed their life like it did for you and I, but they were basically broomed out because no one cared to structure training, to care about the dedication of the training. It was on to the next one. You know, I'm not going to be beat by a green pea. Well, there's another green pea right around the way. Why don't you, you build yourself up a peer and, and have a team and have a culture? That's really what I'm striving for right now in my career is how do I become the, the better me, the better trainer, the better manager to bring up the next group of people to be like me, to, to find that. And they may not be people that can't afford to fail. They may be people that if, if they were treated like you or I were thrown to the wolves, you know, here's the lot, here's the keys, go figure it out. 
they're going to go figure it out somewhere else. And we're going to lose really good, talented, smart individuals from this industry. And that's the next generation that keeps this alive. Those are the guys that I want working for me someday when I'm a GM as my sales manager. And, and really, it's just a broader picture when it comes to training people and how you interact with them. You actually have to care. And, and it's all about caring and, you know, knowing, not just being, and I hate the word manager, because anybody can be handed a title, right? But who's going to be the leader? Who's going to train other leaders? Not train followers, train other leaders. Because, you know, plenty of times people have told me, Ron, even my wife has told me, Ron, they all can't be like you. Well, I don't want them to be like me. I want them to be better exactly. than me. Yeah. And and it, it's that culture that, you know, when they come in in the morning, the first thing you don't do is go, all right, how many appointments you got set up today? What do you got going on? What about that customer that you had in last night? When are they coming back in? Why didn't they buy? What numbers did they agree to? No. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? How was your night last night? How's, How's the family? The family? How are you doing? Yes. You know, how's the kids, you know, you know, you, you've been working 12 hours straight for six days in a row. You know, I really think you need to take the weekend off. Who, who, who does that? Who tells their salespeople, Hey, take the weekend off. You, you got 12 cars out on the eighth, man. Just go ahead and take this weekend off. Enjoy time with your family. Because if, if, if you ain't happy at home, you're not going to be happy at work. 100%. And, you know, I worked six days a week, didn't take a vacation, let my wife go to Disney, let her go to Yellowstone, let her go visit her grandparents in Michigan, let her go to, to Red River and go camping. And I stayed home. People were like, why do you do that? And I go, because if, if I don't, the money she's spending, I'm going to have to, you know, double up when, when we get back. So I'm going to let her go on vacation. I'm going to let her have fun. I'll just sit here and make my make my money and sell my cars. But the, the, but, but the bad part about that was I was on this ego trip that I had to be number one. So I missed Yellowstone. I missed Disney. Uh, not technically a couple of years later I went, but I missed all these opportunities to spend time with my family, with my daughter getting older and, and becoming a teenager. So you never ask how everything's going. You don't start the day in the morning, you get a cup of coffee and then you have a meeting going. So what are we doing today? Oh, you don't have an appointment. Oh, geez, you, you piece of shit. You didn't do anything. What'd right. you do yesterday? Yeah. And so I always have my guy, we have our, our little huddle at eight 30 in the morning. After that's done, it's one-on-ones, man. It's just like, so how are you feeling? You know, you, I can't sell a car. You know, I've I've done everything you taught me to do, and they're not doing this, and they're not doing that. I can't get a customer convince. And I'm like, man, you're getting in your own way. Yeah. When you stop making excuses, you'll start finding your results. You've got to get out of your own way. So, what's bothering you at home? And it works wonders when you actually care. And, and start asking them about their personal life instead of saying, before you walk through that door, you better leave that shit out there. That's not going to work. But if you if they know that you care, everybody knows I'm an asshole. They'll tell you, Ron's an asshole. He don't take care. He don't want to listen to your excuses. 
but I do sit down every morning. As soon as I wake up, I make a cup of coffee and I send them all a text message individually of a motivational quote. And, you know, you'll get some giving you praise hands or thumbs up or, hey, I really needed that this morning. Uh, I was feeling like shit. I didn't think you know I should be coming to work because I can't sell a car. And they all start going, man, I really appreciate everything that you do. And it's that I don't want any acknowledgement. I just want them to be better because I feel bad for them when they when I see when they first start. They're deers in the headlights. They're just like, oh, crap, what did I get myself into? And I was the same way. I was like, is this what I really need to do? Man, I was, I was out searching for another job. Yes. And, and, it, and finding out that a job is just over broke. And I was like, I never give up on anything. I'm going to master this. And whatever happens after was meant to be. I never looked like I looked at that I was going to be a GM of my own Ford store. I just wanted someone at that store that cared enough to make me fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a month. And that individual was not that person. But then, oh boy, Ron became GM because when Ron was selling cars, all Ron cared about was Ron. Yeah. I didn't care about the other four guys that were selling cars. Ron was going to get his big piece of the pie. Screw these other guys. Then when Ron became GM, I was like, oh, shit. I got these other four guys that are having problems selling cars, and they're the ones that are going to make me money. So, you know, we came in at 9 o'clock over the other GM. Then – when I became GM, it was eight o'clock, eight o'clock. I need you in the dealership, eight o'clock to nine o'clock. We're going to train. I'm going to teach you what to say. I'm going to teach you how to say it. And I'm going to teach you how to recognize the hot buttons of, of a customer when it comes to the product. And every single day, Monday through Saturday, we came in an hour early and I trained for that whole hour. Yeah, it was boring. Yes. It was probably meaningless at that time, but Joel can tell you right now, he is not the salesman that he is because he did it on all on his own. You know, when I brought him in and we started doing this other training here at this dealership, he voluntarily came to the training because people were like, man, that shit don't work. And he's like, no, listen, it did. I believe everything that he says, because I was once in your shoes. And I said the same thing. This isn't going to work. This is stupid. He goes, I guarantee if you do everything he says, you're going to make lots of money. And so it's the culture. It's that manager title should be sales influencer, used car influencer, not or used car man, or leader or new car leader, finance leader. That manager title comes out as a negative and it needs to be thrown away and leader or influencer needs to be in place of it. Culture is, is maintained in conditions suitable for growth. And I believe that's what you're trying to do is grow and build a culture inside your dealership 
to do the exact same things that you wanted to be done as as an influencer in your store. So next question is, what do you think the perception is for someone in the automotive industry? And what do you think the customer perception is when they see someone in the automotive industry? And it could be in the store or out of the store. Now we've watched plenty of movies like used cars and suckers and what, what, what a couple of those other ones, uh, Die Hard or Car Dogs. Car Dogs. Yeah, great entertainment. They give the perception that we are liars, cheaters, manipulators, crooks, womanizers, drug addicts, uh, con artists. But, you know, we, we're right there on the bottom with a dentist and a lawyer. I mean, people would rather get a root canal then go buy a car at a car dealership. That's why you got your Carvanas. That's why you got your Vrooms. What do you think the perception that a customer sees us in the car business? And what do you think the salesman or manager, whoever thinks our perception is in the automotive industry? The customers, I mean, the, the perception of the customers is in, and I think that the, the car business in particular, like you mentioned, we're, you know, we're looked at based on some of the stereotypes that have existed in the past and, and rightfully so, honestly, previous generations of guys that do what we do, there was a lack of transparency for customers. There was a lack of available information for customers. That stuff has changed in this business, you know, uh, readily available on your phone in front of you sitting at a dealership. You've got your book values. You've got, if you're, you're dishonest with a the customer, they can call you out on it. And, and rightfully so. An educated buyer is a happy buyer. So transparency is very important and sincerity is important. You actually have to care when you're dealing with people. And it's very easy to win over a customer and to change that perception. And honestly, that's one of the most fulfilling things as a salesperson I experienced was being able to change that perception of a customer walking in full guard up to that customer that six months later was asking for you to say hello when they came in for their first oil change. You know, where's AJ at? I want to see how he's doing. I want to talk to him about how I'm liking my car. I've I've been very fortunate to have many families that I've worked with that have not just been customers of mine, but now they're the repeat customers of those young guys that I'm training and I'm teaching those guys how to handle those families. And they become friends. They become people that I actually care about and that, that care deeply about me. Um, breaking down that wall is, is a very fulfilling aspect of this career. The, the perception of us and you know, you tell your friends, you tell your family, you tell your, your guys you went to high school with, I'm in the car business, same exact thing. But when they look at what this business has been able to provide for me and my family, and I don't care what they think of me. I, I'm an honest guy that goes to work at a good place and a profession that I can be proud of and hold my head up high. And it's provided a wonderful life for me and my family, more so than anything else I could think of to go do. And, and that's all me. That's all internal. I get to be proud of what I do because I know how I do it. And, and you know, that's, that's the biggest thing to me is, do you sleep with yourself at night? Because I don't sleep with those people. I sleep with me. Exactly. And, and I've told salesmen that plenty of times. I was like, listen, Joe's not going to pay your bills. Christian's not going to pay your bills. John's not going to pay your bills. So you got to a certain point. It's the survival of the fittest.
But on the other hand, we've got to take care of one of another. And, you know, you were saying uh, people's perception on us, friends' perception on us. If you watch those movies, you, you think and, and you, you're like, man, is that what people really think about us? That we're liars, we're cheaters, we're manipulators, we're womanizers, uh, we're shady, we're just trying to rip people's head off. And, and, you know, maybe 80s, 90s, back in the day, that's what they tried to do. You know, people, there before there was any MSRPs or window stickers on, on the cars. How much is this car? You can sell it for 10 grand over book. You can sell it for 10 grand over sticker and nobody ever know. Then the government got involved and the government's like, no, we're not going to play this game. You're going to treat everybody fair. You're going to, you're going to have a, uh, a sticker that's going to be, shows all the options of the vehicle and you're going to have that price. The consumer and, became protected. Yeah. Manufacturers suggested retail price. Put it on, put it on there, and you sell it from there. And you know, of course, there's rebates and incentives and all this other yada 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 stuff. And I'm, we'll talk about that some other day. Going, if they think their car's worth eleven thousand five hundred less, why didn't they just price it at that, right? But everybody's got to make money. So, um, my perception was, I, you know, I, I didn't want to be that kind of person. And off the show, before we, we got on, I, I was telling you how this has changed my life. And if I would have known about the car business over 20 years ago, this is where I would have been. I would have not pursued going after um, trying to become an entertainer, trying to be a comedian or, or whatnot. Because when I first moved to Dumas, Texas, I was making $1,500 a month. I started working at a funeral home, picking up dead bodies at $100 a pop. I was picking up two, three at a night. Then I would go in the morning and I would help the funeral director dress the body and put the body into the casket. He would pay me another $100. Now I was living off hamburger helper five nights a week. I can't even look at a box of hamburger helper and go, Oh my God, this is about to make me sick. So after doing that and, and learning how to survive and when people stop dying, I stopped getting phone calls to come pick up bodies. So I had to go and start selling newspaper advertising again and talking about a dying business. Newspapers dying also. So I went to a car dealership and I asked them if they wanted to advertise. And they said, yes, we want to advertise salesmen. Long story short, being in the car business, the, man, I, I was making $38,000 a year and thought that was making a lot of money. Now, you and you and I both know when we look at someone's credit at $38,000 a year, we're like, good God, they're in poverty. But when I first seen, you know, in August of 2012, and I got a $28,000 check, I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, we're going to Colorado Springs, man. We're, we're, we're going to have fun. 
and seeing $28,000 in gross commission. Now, I got taxed out the ass on it, but just seeing that on my paycheck as a salesperson, I went from living in a two-bedroom trailer into getting into a three-bedroom house with a yard. A year later, or two years later, bought my first home. I had credit enough to buy my own home. And I thought I was living big. You know, $96,000 a year was a huge upgrade from where I was. And when I, when I finally broke $100,000 a year, I was blown away. I was like, why didn't, who didn't tell me about this? Yeah. No one told me that I can make as much money as I possibly can if I just put my mind to it and start learning and educating myself and becoming that person that I never thought I could become. Thought selling newspapers, advertising, and making 38 grand a year to making over $100,000 a year in the automotive industry. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, everybody in this world needs a car. Their children needs a car. Wife needs a car. Husband needs a car. So everybody to get from point A to point B needs a car. What else do they need? A cell phone. But you don't make over $100,000 a year selling cell phones. So last year when I moved, when I decided to uh, up my income, I bought a $450,000 house with my own office, four bedroom. And I'm not trying to brag, but what I'm trying to get at is you can, there is no limit in what you can make in the automotive industry. I went from poverty to success. Like, like Larry Busby has always said when he imitates Dusty Rhodes. I've wined and dined with kings and queens and slept in alleys eating pork and beans. And that's what I did. I, I didn't sleep in alleys, but I did eat pork and beans. And I was laying on other people's couches before I got in the car business. I was living in my car before I got in the car business. When I was looking to buy this house, I was like, there is no way. I do not deserve living here from where I was to where I am now within the short amount of time, the car business has been my savior where I was in my life living to now is a hundred percent plus improvement because of the car business. So if you're listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if this is my kind of business. I don't I don't I don't know if I want this as my job. It's not a job, it is a career. It is a life-changing event. Most definitely. You could sell real estate also, but when people are not buying houses, like right now down here, there this is a buyer's market and no one is selling their house and if they are they're they're overselling right now 
for thousands of thousands more than what the house is worth, but the market is desperate enough for it. So if you don't think that this is the opportunity for you, that you can go and and work 30 hours a, a, a week at $10 an hour, $15 an hour, and you think that's good enough because you want your free time? You need to worry about what you're doing now and saving later because if the economy falls, what are you going to do? If you don't have money invested in a savings account, in 401k, in stocks or real estate, and you're worried about your free time so you can play your video games and go skateboarding, this is what you and I, AJ, have to instill in the individual's heads that you have to get better. You have to think about the future. You have to have a financial plan, not a monthly budget. Every Saturday when you get off of work and you go to the gentleman's club or you go out to the bar and you get drunk and get wasted and you wake up Sunday morning and you're like with this massive headache. And you're recovering because before you even go to work on Monday, that is not building your future. So that's what AJ and myself and all these other trainers out there are trying to do is in put in your head, embed in your head that you have to plan for the future. Because nobody is going to do that for you. You have to do it yourself. And I am so sorry to uh, realize it now. And I didn't realize it when I was in my 20s or my early 30s. Saying, you know what? You got to get your head out of your ass. You got to build a future. Because you could be that 98-year-old man in Walmart asking somebody if they want a buggy. Right? Very true. So you if you're looking to build a future for you and your family, if you're thinking about being uh, financially stable, the car business is you don't have to get an education you know, with real estate. You have to take real estate classes. You've got to take the exam so you can make lots of money. And then you're hoping to God that someone buys a house. There could be months no one buys a house. There could be days or hours for someone to buy a car. And if you treat them right, word of mouth is the best advertisement out there. You spend little money and you get big results. I know dealerships. I know right now we spend $60,000, $70,000 a month on advertising and marketing to let people come to our dealership to buy cars. And the, and the dealer is doing his part. All those customers that are coming in is because of the advertising. But if you treat that one customer right, that one customer may have hundreds of friends and family members that are looking to buy a car. And if you are not marketing yourself, if you are not advertising yourself, 
then you are doing something wrong. That being said, AJ, what do you think about ownership thinking inside a salesman? This is his business. This is what he does. He's building his own business. So it, if something falls apart at the dealership that he's at, let's say he's at Subaru, something falls apart and he leaves to go to a Dodge store, he could still take his business, his customers with him. What do you think Most about definitely. thinking? You know, the, not just the ownership thinking of taking the business that you've built with you. I mean, I mean you know, Probably the biggest thing I've, I've had lots of people that have come through that, you know, I've, I've got people working for me right now that want to be doctors or want to go on to, to law school. This may not be the end of the road for them. Part of what I look at as I'm training my guys is the ownership of your own business is not just the ownership of the relationships. It's the ownership of the skill set that you can take away when you put in the time and the effort to study and to get good at what we do. When you take that skill set and I become better at speaking to people, I become better at conveying information. I become better at asking for what I want. Um, I can take that and I can, I can convey it into a million different careers, a million different avenues. You know, like I mentioned earlier, this business has made me a better person. It's made me a better father. It's made me a better husband because of some of those things that I've taken from it outside of it and reality that's when i look at my guys when i give them something i'm going to give them that that can't be taken away that 30 years down the line something that i hopefully have projected into them will affect them greatly no matter what they're doing or where they're at and and they get to own that so Question, why don't salespeople do videos on social media? Why don't they market themselves? Why do you think they don't do that? A big part of it's fear. The, it's the, the psychological hurdles that we deal with in this business. The same psychological hurdle that a new salesman has of, you know, uh, asking for the phone number and what's the last name. It, it becomes, uh, do I put myself out there? How do I put myself out there? Not knowing how to do it. And then social media is not an immediate result. And people fail a lot of times when they don't have positive people behind them explaining that, you know, you may make 40 different videos before one of them catches, before one of them brings in your first customer that brings in another customer that brings in another customer. You may post 15 cars before you get one phone call on something. It's not a, a game of, you know, put it out there and see immediate results. It's a game of numbers and it's a, a game of consistency and it's a game of doing all of the small things over and over and over again and, and building those habits that'll do things right. It's like the law of averages. The more people you see, the more money you make. 100%. Now, how important is working internet leads or do you think being a lot dog is better? You know, I think that we're, we're getting into a time right now where there's a lot of hybridization going on, where you've got a, a BBC staff that does really well with keeping consistently followed up with just the, the influx of traffic of, of internet leads. Uh, the, the real true calling of a salesman tomorrow is not working internet leads or working the lot. It's going to be working your own self-generated business, which is something that, you know, that's actively right now as a sales trainer and as a manager, I'm looking for avenues to, to help establish that. You know, how did these guys go out 
and they don't worry about the lot traffic. They don't worry about the the internet leads and the internet advertising and what we're priced at on CarGurus. They they go out and they find their own business because they have every technology and every avenue that didn't exist 20 years ago that, that can now catapult them to just heights that you and I have, have probably not even imagined that we're going to see some people doing. You know, guys like Ali Rada that have put up the numbers that they've put up over these last few years, they've capitalized on that. You're you're looking at, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of views. He didn't start with, you know, somebody emailing him, asking him to make a video. He started by going out there and doing it on his own and, and really seeing success and being encouraged of, hey, man, that was a great video that you posted, letting them push themselves. Self-generated business is it's the more profitable business. It's a better interaction with your customer. And it's definitely the, what you're going to see in the future. All right. We got to take a little bit, a little bit of a break. We'll be right back after these messages. He has proven methods that really work. If you want to make more money, take these classes. He's intense, truthful, and he knows what he's doing. Check him out. Garvick, man, where to start with this guy? Um, I've had the pleasure of working under him for the past four years. He's my manager up at Street Volkswagen, and it's just been an amazing experience. I came in as a green pea with no experience, and you know he's went over and taught me a lot of you know a lot of great stuff with the car business, whether it's negotiating, uh, trade appraisals, walkarounds, you name it. He's went over it with me, and I'm super appreciative. He brings a ton to the table, you know, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience. He's worked the desk. He's you know. He's worked every position, you know, BDC, sales, he's done everything in the dealership. So he has a wealth of knowledge and, you know, having those credentials behind him really solidifies what he's saying. You know, he knows his shit. He's good at what he does. He's had results. So definitely listen to Rod Garbrick, man. Uh, I'm very blessed to have him at the dealership and be able to learn from him directly. So tons of good stuff. Can't wait for y'all to check it out. Hello guys, my name is Joel Marquez and I highly recommend Ron Garbrick sales training because he's very passionate at what he does. Uh, me and Ron have been working together for over five years, uh, two different dealerships. I went from making two to $2,500 to pushing over $10,000 a month. Uh, yes, I'm currently over $100,000 year to date in about eight and a half months. I highly recommend you guys take advantage of all his courses. He's great at what he does. Thank you guys. Have a blessed day. All right, we're back. Thank you for joining us on the Automotive Architect Sales Podcast. Our, ho or our host, our guest is AJ Owens with Subaru of Wichita, Kansas. AJ, what is one thing you could tell a Greenpeace salesperson that you would think that would change their life in the car business? Probably the, the one thing that I... I can pass on to a Greenpeace salesman is, is you really just got to get out of your own way. You know, the, the barriers that we put in front of ourselves psychologically, the, the hurdles that we put in front of ourselves of, you know, being scared, uh, you know, our, our owner's got a, a great word that he uses. He says, you know, you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and that will, that will definitely change someone's mindset and someone's outlook and it'll, it'll produce a better person and a better interaction and uh, change, change somebody's life. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
I'm sorry, Ron, you're muted. One thing that I, that I tell them is you got to mind your own business. That means focus on yourself and nobody else. Mind your own business, M-I-N-D, mind your own business. While you're mining your own business, you're going out trying to find customers. You're trying to find potential people to put in your data so you can sell them cars, referrals, repeat business, stuff like that. And when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror that you're going to understand this is my business. Nobody else is going to make your paycheck. Nobody else is going to make you one step closer to that financial freedom. Only you. You got to mind your own business while you're mining your own business. So when you wake up in the morning, you can say, this is my business. And the Greenpeace, like you said, you got to get out of your own way. The only way you're going to be able to succeed in the automotive industry is you've got to have a positive mindset. I call it about crap. I'm going to teach you crap. Communication, respect, have a great attitude, and have a positive mindset. There was a book that I read from uh, uh, a while back. It's called The Millionaire, Mi or the Millionaire Mindset. And it's talking about how being, being a millionaire and learning how to utilize that in the automotive industry. And I mean, of course, you got um, books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and all your uh, John C. Maxwell books about leadership and stuff like that. But the, mil the secrets of the millionaire mind uh, mindset is one of the the books that I highly suggest that you, you read because it helps you understand how to make the automotive industry your business. Now, the dealership, they do provide the inventory, the office supplies, and, the, the, and pay for the utilities. But this is your business. It's whatever you, you make it. And one of the things that once you get out of your own way and start realizing how you can make money and be successful in the automotive industry. And I don't care from being a salesperson, a manager, a GM dealer principal. If you start thinking about this is your business, because I know that the, the dealer principal and GM is making this their own business because they're putting all the, the money in to make profit. But you have to make this your own business. And talking about profit, I know this gets on people's nerves. I know there's some dealerships out there that are volume-based. I know there's some, some dealerships out there that are gross-based. But I'm telling you right now, you can't be the, the highest-priced dealership and be able to make money. Because you're going to go out of business because you're not going to sell any cars. But if you are the lowest base and you're a volume store, and you're just giving cars away. Yeah, you're, you're selling lots of cars, but you're not making any money. So you're going to run out of business. So, AJ, should dealerships be a volume-based store, a gross-based store, or both? What are, what are your thoughts on that? No, you've definitely got to produce the, the volume. The volume incentivizes the trade-ins, and the trade-ins incentivize the gross, and the you know, it's it's got to be a, a really, I mean, I would tell you that with a, a good process, with a good culture, with a good trained sales staff, the volume will will be there. The volume will show up because the customers will be taken care of. And, it, and 
realistically, the gross will come right along with the volume. It almost handles itself. And, and that, that's my perception. You know, I've been in this business for five years and definitely not a, a dealer principal or an owner. I just know from personal experience, when you take good care of people, when you do things the right way, when you've got a good solid trained sales staff, you can sell volume. You can make gross while selling volume. It, it doesn't have to be one way or the other, most definitely. And the, and the good thing about it is, is when, when I was at the, the Ford store, the first store that I was at, I learned to be a gross store. Man, I, I thought it was great when I was sending messages to the owner, text messages at the end of the night saying, so three cars made 21 grand front and back. You know, waiting for that text to come back going, great job, big purrs. And then when I moved to the Volkswagen store, they were giving everything away. And I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You're losing money. Because at the Ford store, they never told me about the manufacturer sending, you know, if you hit your goal, then they start paying you to sell cars, to sell the new cars. And I was like, okay. So, and I had the ownership thinking. So we're still giving away cars, losing front gross, but getting paid by the manufacturer once we hit our goal. So it just washes out the negative gross that we made. And then we get paid on that, right? Yeah. So why don't we make a little gross on the front? Have that money pay off advertising, marketing, floor plan, uh, expenses that we don't need to pay. So when that money comes in from the manufacturer, we'll get more of that piece of the pie than we would if we broke even losing all that money. So it was, it was pounding that in the new car manager's head for so long that I'm like, just give $500 a car. Don't lose any money, but let's make $500 a car and let that money pay for the floor plan, utilities, marketing, and advertising. And so when this other money comes in, we'll make more money. Oh, yeah, no, that, that won't work. You know, we, we got to put our best foot forward. This is putting our best foot forward because we're not ripping customers' heads off. They're still buying the car. This is by doing it that way, your way, you're telling the customer our car is not worth what we thought it was worth. That's why we're giving you everything away. But if we say, you know what? This car is priced the way it's priced due to the fact it has a sunroof it has leather interior it has the navigation it's got those new wheels and tires that are on there we're we're devaluing the car when we give everything away and we're the the lowest price volkswagen store in america but if you make a little bit of money and and customers don't care if you make a little money but it helps pay the bills and it doesn't take out of our pocket. Oh uh, yeah. I'm right there with you when it comes to trade appraisals. If you're not doing a, a walk around on a vehicle salesman, if you're not doing a walk around on a vehicle 
and showing the customer the scratches, the cracked windshield, they know it's there. They're going to tell you, oh, yeah, you know, it's being behind those semi-trucks. The rocks fly up, hit your windshield. They know. But if you're – if because they're going to – if they're buying a used car, they're going to devalue it. They're going to tell you, oh, it's got a scratch right there, you know, take another $1,000 off. What – ladies and gentlemen, what vehicle – that has a four inch scratch is worth taking a thousand dollars off. It's not heard of, but they want to devalue our car, but God forbid, don't go over there and look at my trade in and see the big, huge dent on the back where you got drunk and drove and hit somebody. Don't let me tell you that's a thousand dollar hickey. But my little four-inch scratch, you think that's a $1,000 hickey. It's just fair. Once you go there and look at their vehicle, while they're depreciating your vehicle, we're priced online because of that scratch. We're priced online because of that little ding. So we already justified the price because of that damage. Now, if you would like it fixed, we can absolutely get that done for you. It, but it's going to be uh, a little bit more on the price. Now, is the price worth the scratch being fixed? Or would do you just go ahead and take it as is? But there's so many salesmen that I watch. I'm like, why aren't you out there looking at their trade? Why are you waiting for the inventory manager to go out there and do the appraisal? You should take the customer out there so they can tell you a story about the vehicle that they're trying to trade. If you tell them, tell me a story about it. There's a reason why you bought it. Tell me what you like about it. Tell me what you don't like about it. Tell me how you want the next vehicle to be different. Oh, the gas mileage? Yes, absolutely. This vehicle you're looking at right now is going to have prestige gas mileage on the highway. Oh, you want comfort? Man, just wait till you get inside and sit down on these nice comfort uh, leather seats. Oh, it's it's safety. Man, did we tell you about the beams on this new vehicle where you can go 120 miles an hour and get into a wreck and still walk out without a scratch? Some some cars out there, they only you go only get tested with 70 miles per hour. If you do that with your customer and, and do appreciation of the car, selling the value, get off price. Why is everybody always stuck on price when it comes to the vehicle? Let's sell value. Let's sell the hot buttons. Then price really doesn't matter if you fit their needs and find the exact vehicle for them. How many times, AJ, have you had problems with, with salesmen going, Hey, what's the price on this vehicle? And they didn't do a proper presentation of the car. Almost oh, definitely, you know, or or even even seen the car, you know. Hey, wh what's the price on this this car that's out here? Have you guys even walked around the car? Have you, have you even gotten and opened a door? Do we even know if that's a car that they're even remotely interested in? You know, let's go let's go put hands on it. Let's go drive it. Let's go build the value because you're you're a hundred percent right. You know, you have a, a customer that buys a car every six years. When he's out here looking at a car today, is he a little bit sticker shocked versus what that car, you know, he paid six years ago for a car? Most definitely. We have to show him a reason why cars are more expensive today than they were six years ago. Most definitely when you get into a, 
you know, a newer car today and it's going to stop and keep you from getting into an accident and it's going to keep you in your lane and have speed adaptive cruise control and all of the multitude of safety features and, and new technology that's almost becoming standard in the industry. It's worth money. You know, it's worth paying for. You just got to show it to the customers. They don't know to look for it. That's why we're like salesmen, that. not clerks. I like back in the day, you know, customer goes, how much is this car? How much is this car? And how much is this car? So you go in back into the dealership in the sales tower and go, hey, boss, customer wants to know about these three vehicles and what the prices are. And he goes, are they buying all three? <laughs> no. Then why? So I learned to say, let me ask you a question, Mr. Customer. If all three vehicles were free, which one would you take home today? Well, I'd take that one home. Great. Let's work numbers on this one. Let's go for a test drive. Let's see if it fits your needs. Then if all all goes well, we'll go back inside. I'll give you every every bit of information you want. Price, payment, pro, uh, price, payment, uh, down payment, trade, whatever, in, interest rate, whatever numbers you want. But I got my job here is to make you fall in love with the vehicle, take it for a test drive, bring it back in and I'll work all the numbers. If this ain't the one for you, then we'll go try the other one out. But I need to figure out which one is going to work best for you because I guarantee you we're not going to miss you on price. We're not going to miss you on payment, but we could miss on finding the right vehicle for you. But so many salesmen want to start skipping steps. They go from the meet and greet to the uh, write up and there's nothing there. There's no rapport. There is no connection. They're just going off price and not paying attention to what the customer really needs. This is an exclusive sponsor, Dealer Elite, the most recognized automotive social network in the world. Go ahead and go to dealerelite.net. Sign up now and you can engage with the best and brightest in our industry. Also, Sponsored is Street Volkswagen of Amarillo. Street Volkswagen of Amarillo's got the all-new Volkswagen ID4 all-electric vehicle. They're looking to electrify the world. So let me ask you a question. Does Subaru have an electric car? No, we're, we don't. Uh, I think Subaru's mentioned that by 2025, we're... I know we're doing some partnerships with Toyota technology-wise uh, to get into that market, but not yet. I was looking the other day. I, I can't remember if it was automotive news or something. They were talking about how electric vehicles by 2030 is going to be more than the combustion engines. They're, they're going to stop by 2030, but... Toyota is going to go all the way till 2050. Man, I'm going to be so old. I won't even be able to drive. But, but Toyota said, so we're going to, we're going to push it out till 2050. Now it may change throughout the years, but you have Tesla. Tesla is doing a great job with their, their uh, futuristic uh, electric cars and actually elon musk came and looked at the new volkswagen id4 and he was like man this is top notch i like it i think it's gonna gonna be really good you know volkswagen tried to do the all diesel uh engines and everybody knows what happened there so now they're trying to go in all electric you know it seems like everybody in my dealership wants to buy an id4 i 
you know, I'm still old school. I'm going to go with the gas combustion engines for right now. But you never know. Everybody's coming around. It's bringing a lot of traffic. Uh, seeing a lot of them on the highway now. And, uh, you know, gr great market, great, great product. Um, but I'm sticking with my gas engines right now. I know I'm going to be paying the, some fuel costs, you know, because of this whole presidency and what's going on. I think I could suck it up for the next couple of years, but you know, it, it, this industry is never going to change, you know, back, you remember, Oh, was it back in the eighties, the late eighties in 1985 was the first uh, back to the future, wasn't it? Yeah. And then they made the second one, which was they really went to the future. And that's where the hoverboard came. And and then they had the flying cars. And they said by 2015, we, we, we would all be in flying cars, right? Yeah. I've yet to see a flying car. I don't know about you. Is Wichita flying cars? Next, Wichita next. may have flying cars because of all those tornadoes yeah. that come through. Maybe after the electrification cars, we'll go flying cars. This might this might be a really exciting time to be in the business. You know, Wichita has flying cars. Oklahoma City has flying cars. These tornadoes, they don't play around. And now, are they controlled by a human? No, it's controlled by human nature. So I'm right there with you. Let's just deal with the electric cars right now, and we'll worry about the flying cars later. But... It, it, it it's funny to see how things are going uh, with automobiles because, you know, I, I went to a um, car museum up in Michigan. It's called the Gilmore Car Museum. And I've seen some of the 60s, 1960 model cars. They look futuristic. And I'm like, thank God that didn't go where where everybody wanted to go they had the whole jetson look with the whole glass the over canopy and oh that. yeah and i was like oh man thank god that didn't kick off because i couldn't see my parents driving a futuristic bubble car whatever blah 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 but um you know th this has been a great interview uh really enjoy talking to you tonight this morning this evening whatever um but I, I do have some other questions for you before we go. AJ, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And where are you trying to go with being in the automotive industry? Yeah, eventually, I, you know, I would like to be a GM. I'd like to run my own store. Uh, I think the position of a GM, you, you not only get to influence the culture, you get to establish a culture. And I, I think that going from that position, uh, being able to establish a culture across the entire you know, service, sales, platform you've you've really got the ability to create something special I, I know that definitely our general manager has done a great job with that and and really put forth the, the power in us team leaders to you know help navigate and help mitigate the challenges that have come up against everything for us and, and i look forward to that you know the time comes that i i am in that position it's it's going to be exciting but that's my my next step career-wise would be to run my own store and and you know, create magic again, create a team and uh, take great care of people. So another question, um, when you read, read something, uh, learn something, train yourself, train your mind to become a great leader, great uh, influencer, 
Do you read a book, read a Kindle, or do you listen to it on Audible? Uh, I definitely do on my, my iPad, and I do a lot of audiobooks. Who, who are you uh, listening to now on audio? Uh, right now I'm listening to the, the Investment Advice book by Tony Robbins. I can't remember that. He uh, can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. You put me on the spot. Tony Robbins helped put together an investment advice book for first-time investors in, in the stock market. And he basically just went to all the experts. And it, it's a really great read. I wish I could remember the title of it off the top of my head. been listening to that to and from work. Have you have you read his book Awakening the Giant? I actually listened to to Awakening the Giant. Yeah, he's he's really good when you listen to his audio book. Have you read he's Tony Robbins' book Awakening the Giant? I sure have. Yeah, man, that uh, I bought the book. It's a uh, worn out, used, big, thick. When he had his hair all parted back, book. Great book, and I also listen to the Audible because I have an hour drive to and from work, so I listen to the Audible also. But another one, if you want to be motivated and and if you decided, hey, I'm going to make excuses on why I can't do this, why I can't do that, David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me, is another great book to talk about his life. Talk about him growing up as a child, going, getting into the military, you know, killing cockroaches, weighing over 300 pounds to becoming a, a badass in, in his own realm is a great book, too. Uh, for, for some of you out there that don't, don't read, uh, you can also, and I'm picking up a book, is Grant Cardone's. The Closer Survival Guide. It's a great book, too, if you want to learn how to close deals, how to close customers. Um, and also, he don't sell these in the bookstores, but these are for managers. The Dealer's Guide to Recovery and Growth in Today's Market by Joe Verdi. They, this was a book that I was never supposed to have when I was a salesman. They told me, do not pick it up, do not open it, and do not read. Not only did I pick it up, not only did I open it up, but I read. I read every page in this book about everything that a manager should know. It says, guarantee your growth year after year with Joe's step-by-step guide for every dealer and management team. And the good thing about this is, yeah, some of this stuff is old school, but you can implement it to being new school. You can make it your own. You can make it your own and become successful. So I I read books. I don't have a Kindle. I don't have an iPad. I do listen to Audible and I do listen to podcasts. A lot of good people out there in the podcast. I, I can name a couple of podcasts that you can uh uh, subscribe to one is the automotive architect sales podcast by yours truly and the manager to podcast uh, those are two great podcasts you can listen to every day and every morning going to, to and from work 
But last but not least, I know it's late and you got some little ones. Who are your role models, people of influence, who you look up to? De definitely my father. My father, uh, you know, he instilled quite a bit in me and he totally outside of the sales industry. My father did construction, but he he had the same mindset. He was a, a leader. He was a management but he always looked out for his people. He always knew that, you know, you are the sum of the people that you lead. Um, and you building them up, build yourself up. The, uh, taught me definitely how to be a man, how to be a father. That's definitely the number one influence in my life. I think that's what your number one job has to be is become a good father. If you could be a good father and a good leader to your children, not only are you leading them into success in their own life, but you're you're showing them what a true leader should be once they grow up and start playing sports, graduating, going to college, getting their own job, becoming their own father. That your first step is to train your children to counsel, to coach before you can even do that to a team of individuals with so many different personalities, so many ethnic, um, with religion, with color. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do or where you came from. Everybody can have the same goal, same mindset, and same whatever in the world that they want to do. But it has to start by doing it with your children. Unfortunately, I was too young and naive at the time uh, when I was 21 to listen to my father. And I lost him when I was 21 to understand how to be a good father, how to be a great leader. I just remember uh, looking at him, knowing that he worked hard driving a truck every single day for 42 years to provide for his family. So I, I always give my hats off to truck drivers, even though they get in my way going to work, but I know that they are providing for their family also, and they work pretty hard. So I learned that from my father, and there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't think what would he do and how would he do it to become a better father myself and to be a better leader in whatever industry that I'm in. So um, besides your father, I, who else uh, do you look up to? In my business, our, our ownership is uh, is we've got a really good ownership group, and we've got a really good general manager at, at my store. Our general manager is actually very similar age to me. Um, he's been really impactful on who I am as a person. He's he's a big part of why I'm where I'm at, and and mindset wise. Um, when I first came into the dealership, you know, I mentioned earlier that I had to move from Morton's to Wichita. My, my wife, for quite a few years, dealt with some health issues. Uh, we, we've gone through a couple kidney transplants, um, dialysis, hospital stays, all sorts of things. And I had a, I, I couldn't have asked for better leaders above me when I was in that position. 
that I knew had my back at any point in time um, and took care of me. I mean, I I looked at work during that point in my life as, as kind of a place that I could go, that everything that was going on outside of work could stay outside of work and I could go produce and I could go concentrate on the one thing I had control of, which was make money to take care of my family. And those guys did a great job. You know, that, that's a big influence. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. And AJ, you know, it's it's great to have you on the show. We're in it for a minute 25 or an hour and 25 minutes. I think our listeners have has gotten a great idea of who you are and what you represent. What at the closing statement do you have for the guys out there that are listening, that are in the automotive industry, what what kind of advice can you give them if they're thinking, man, this this may not be for me? What what can you do to help them out and reassure them that, man, you're you're making a right decision and you can survive and you can make it in the car business? Um, you know, I really believe that. If, you're, if your heart's in it and you want to make it in the car business, you can make it in the car business. You could go out like you and I did and, and not have you know, a, a trainer or somebody that really cared in your first go around and go out and find the information yourself. But, but also, I want those guys to say, you know, if you look around you at a car dealership, even though you may not have a great manager or may, maybe don't have a great team leader, maybe don't have a trainer, you have great examples. There are success examples that you just pulled from. I, you know, take from this guy, take from that guy. And at the end of the day, this business isn't for everyone. You know, and, and some people have to understand that. But if you're looking for something that you can do, that you can hold your head up high, that you can take good care of people, that you don't have to have a, you know, 10 years of college, and you can go out there and you can provide an excellent, excellent life for your family and, and really like you said earlier, unlimited growth potential in this job. The, the car business is a fantastic place to do it. It is. It is 100%. And, you know, guys, it doesn't matter if you're a Greenpeace salesman to a veteran, to a manager or a dealer principal or a GM. This is going to be the industry for you if you make it as your own and it, it it's i couldn't i couldn't be anywhere in this world if it wasn't for the automotive industry and you know my next step is you know maybe a gm maybe a trainer maybe becomes some kind of influencer but i want to give back to help these younger guys, help these people that are just getting into the industry to uh, show them that, man, the sky is the limit when it comes to selling cars. The sky is the limit when it comes to making money. And the only way you're going to be able to do it is if you put your mind to it. Have that crap attitude, communication, respect, attitude, and a positive mindset. 
That being said, I want to thank everybody for being and listening to the Automotive Architect Sales Podcast. Our guest today was AJ Owens. With He is a sales manager, trainer, influencer with Subaru of Wichita, Kansas. Now, if you're anywhere near the Wichita, Kansas area and you just want to buy a Subaru, look up AJ. Go over there and talk to him. Shake his hand and say, hey, bud, man, I really appreciate that that podcast and all the things that you said. You know, I'm, I'm technically right now driving a Ram truck, but show me what you got in the Subarus. You know, I may want to switch and, and do that. Go right ahead and find AJ. And AJ, if anybody ever wanted to get a get a hold of you, uh, start following you, yeah, how, how would they be able to do that? You can, you can always email me at it. A Owens at ridehomehappy.com. It's A O W E N S. And uh, you know, look me up. I'm, I'm on our dealership's website. You can always look me up on Facebook. Uh, it's AJ Owens at Facebook. Sweet. Well, AJ, I, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight. And uh, it was a great pleasure. You know, when you said, Hey, I'd love to be on there, I was like, Man, I got to get him on there. And I, I want to know what you have to say. Um, I knew that you were in the car business, but I didn't know uh, how far you were in and what your position was. And, you know, it's nice to have other people in the industry speak and tell their story and tell how they got into the car business. Because, you know, we didn't we weren't born one day and go, hey, I'm going to be in the car business. We actually things happen and, and got us there. So. Uh, appreciate you being on. I uh, believe that our roads will cross again. Our path will cross again one day. They um, do every 20 years, I think, Ron. Thanks they for do. They me, do. Man. Uh, you know, and I do, I do want to dedicate this show to uh, the late Larry Busby Sr., uh, he passed away a couple of weeks ago, and uh, our hearts go out to. Deborah and uh, Larry Jr. Buzzsaw. Um, I know this is kind of hard for you guys, and but I do since you got two of your best buds on the show. I want to dedicate this show to you two and uh, let you guys know you are in our hearts and our thoughts. And if there's anything that you need from AJ or I, you always know you can give us a call. You have our numbers. And just if you need to talk, if you need a laugh, or you just need to cry, we're there for you. Yes, we are. Hey, Jake, I appreciate you. Ron, I, I love what you're doing, man. I uh, we'll we'll be talking soon. We'll we'll do another show with you and and uh, touch base again. But until then, we are out. Thank you for listening, guys. You've just listened to the number one automotive sales podcast. You'll now be one step closer to your financial freedom. Hundred grand a year is within your grasp. The question is, do you want it? Tune in next week to the Automotive Architect Sales Podcast for a 100% positive mindset.